0: Daniel chapter four. What's so interesting about Daniel chapter four, as Brian just read, is not only how it ends, but how it begins. The last word, the last phrase of this chapter is also the last recorded word of Nebuchadnezzar in your Bible. It says this, those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. And that's Nebuchadnezzar's last word in this chapter. What's fascinating about this chapter, not just fascinating, but truly astonishing, is that God had so worked in Nebuchadnezzar's life that Nebuchadnezzar, the same king, the same violent emperor that attacked and overtook Jerusalem, is now praising the God of Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4, and we will see the story of Nebuchadnezzar after he has a another dream and God teaches him another lesson. This chapter begins with praise, but it also begins with a very fascinating author. Verse 1 of chapter 4 of the book of Daniel says this, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages, That dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Isn't that astounding that the same king? who attacked and overthrew Jerusalem, the same king that God had used to bring judgment on his people is now the king that is giving praise to God. Not only giving praise to God, but he wrote a chapter of your Bible. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God has Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful person on planet Earth at the time, Write a chapter in your holy scriptures. Isn't that astounding? Isn't that remarkable? What our God can do, God can and does do this. He could take the person that's sitting at the highest heights of power and remind them of this simple truth, heaven rules. If there's one thread and one theme throughout Daniel chapter 4, it's that heaven rules And when we know heaven rules, we know what? That we do not. Going from Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, I want to tell you a little story about another governor, another person in a place of authority. This might be a name that you recognize and remember because it's an article about the former mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg was interviewed by a national newspaper, and he was talking about all of his achievements and accomplishments as the mayor of New York. And then the content of the conversation was directed to heaven. And this is what the Washington Times reported back in April of 2014. Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, said it's his work for more gun control, his work along with his anti-smoking and healthy eating campaigns that have won him, Michael Bloomberg, God's favor and a sure spot behind the pearly gates bloomberg's exact words made in context of discussing his smoking cessation and anti-obesity pushes as well as his concerted crackdowns on private gun ownership he said this and i quote i am telling you if there is a god when i go to heaven i'm not even stopping to be interviewed i'm heading straight in I have earned my place in heaven, Michael Bloomberg says, quote, it's not even close. Right? Now, this is so interesting for so many reasons. We could see what a little bit of power does to someone's mind. But this is fascinating because, to be honest, it's not just Bloomberg that thinks this. He's really articulating the spirit of our age, right? And have you noticed that he truly believes heaven's rules are Bloomberg's rules in the sense that he believes that God is going to honor him and welcome him so much so he doesn't have to stop to be interviewed. He's just going to walk right by. (laughs) Why? It's the why that's almost as interesting as the who, because of anti-gun laws, because of anti-obesity laws, because of health laws and legislation. You see, what we tend to do is we tend to think heaven's rules are based on our rules and God will accept us because of what we're good at without any thought to how he might have a separate set of laws and rules. And in fact, when we line up our hearts, not just our actions, but our attitudes up against the revelation of his holiness, it doesn't lead to pride. It leads to humility. So, Nebuchadnezzar comes to the reality of this. Heaven rules. And what's the rule of heaven? That we do not. That humility is the path to not only simplicity, but the humility is the path to intimacy with the Holy God. Let's look at this story as it plays itself out in Nebuchadnezzar's life. I'm looking now at verse 4 of Daniel chapter 4. In the first person, once again, notice this. This is a personal testimony from the most powerful empire at that time, and one of the most powerful of all time. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of that dream. Let's pause right there. Does this sound like deja vu? If you are here when we study Daniel chapter 2, this is once again God visiting Nebuchadnezzar in his dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar, being so disturbed and distraught by that dream, he is now reaching out to all the wise men in his kingdom for its interpretation. How many of us know that dreams are not just something we experience when we're asleep, but dreams are what guides us and motivates us when we're awake? There's sleeping dreams and there's waking dreams. Sleeping dreams, and as we talked about, I believe that God does speak to us In our dreams, all of those dreams need to come under the authority, the clarity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. But it's what happens when the alarm clock goes off, and it's our waking dreams that get us out of bed. In fact, I would submit to you this. Our delusions of grandeur happen not in our sleeping dreams, but they find a happy home in our waking dreams. That our imagination can be filled every single day with an idea that today's going to be the day where I get ahead, today's going to be the day where I prosper, and today's going to be the day where I experience a little bit more glory than I did yesterday. Now, we are a people designed for glory. just not our own. Work is a good God-given gift in its proper place. The gifts that you have that makes you successful is a blessing from God. But we never should forget it was a gift from God to begin with. Here, Nebuchadnezzar is reminded that even though he is living safely in his prosperous palace, he has no peace. He can't even sleep. This dream is once again disturbing and punctuating his false Perception of himself. It is bringing to the forefront the reality of not only heaven, but of earth. So, what happens is he calls in Daniel and he tells Daniel about the dream. He explains to Daniel about this vision. And what's the vision? Well, the vision is of a tall tree, beautiful and also big, visible to all the world with abundant fruit. And then a holy one comes down from heaven chops down the tree to a stump, and if I could paraphrase, the stump becomes a chump. The stump is referred to as a person, and this stump loses his mind, and then this stump starts to act like a crazy, ravenous animal. Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream, and logically, he's disturbed by it. So Daniel responds, let's jump all the way down to the second half of verse 19. Daniel said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heaven, to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived, it is you, O king. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown to the reaches of heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Daniel is seemingly nervous to deliver this truth. I think there's a very helpful principle In our conversations with those that we're trying to share our faith with, there is a certain relational part of Daniel's witness to God's faithfulness that I think is very helpful for us. Daniel says out of the gate, oh, may it not be so of you, king. Now, is this flattery? Is this Daniel just trying to be diplomatic? I don't think so, because if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel had no problem delivering the truth without any kind of sentimentality. No, I think what's happened now that some time has passed, Daniel has been living in the king's court, serving at the king's disposal, and he has built a relationship with the king, and he has to deliver a very hard message. And here's a beautiful truth. God has called us to be a witness of grace, but also truth. There is no grace without the truth. And the truth is often offensive to people. Remember the heartbeat of our faith. The heartbeat of our faith is that our heart is the heart of the problem. Is that we are all wretched sinners in need of saving. And unless we look to Christ who said of himself, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Listen, no one, Jesus says, comes to the Father but through him. It's an offensive message, politically incorrect, countercultural. How do we deliver the message? Can people tell if you're delivering it in a way that is filled with true compassion? Absolutely. Can people also tell if you're delivering that message and you don't care about them at all? Some of us, we get into discussions and arguments with people. And you might even win the argument, but you could lose the person. The gospel is offensive, but that doesn't give us license to be obnoxious. Daniel, listen to this. He cares about the dude that came in and took him from his home. That's astounding. God is about to work not only Nebuchadnezzar's heart, but Daniel's heart as well. So as we share the gospel, let us not do it from our high, holy hill Let's do it in humility with tears in our eyes, saying there is, yes, a heaven, but there is also a hell. And Jesus is the only way. Amen. So then he delivers the truth. There's kindness, there's compassion, and then he reminds them of this truth. Let's jump down to 26. Talking about the interpretation of the the dream, here is really the heart of this passage and of this chapter And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that you know heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All right. Stop right there, because what's about to happen is not only historically and theologically and biblically interesting as we study Daniel chapter 4, but it's going to play itself out even right now. Nebuchadnezzar is struggling, distraught, and disturbed. Daniel gives the way out. Daniel reveals God's will. And whenever God speaks, it's what happens next. That's really, really important because what's going to happen is you're going to see the pride and the hubris of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to literally hear an interpretation, the second interpretation from none other than God himself, and he will remain, at least initially, unchanged. He will just go on with his life. That will probably happen this morning. I pray that it doesn't because many of us will look down at Nebuchadnezzar and say, What a big dope! You big idiot! And leave here without our pride in check. And leave here without being considering and considerate of how the Lord is leading us to humble ourselves. Because if we do not humble ourselves, He will allow the world to humble us. So, Here we go. Nebuchadnezzar heard the truth, but he had to see it lived out in his life before he humbled himself. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built? Listen to this. I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. I want you to pause right there because we're going to compare now the I's and the my's of this passage to the he's and the his of the end of the passage. He is so impressed by his own success. He is so impressed by himself. You know what the book of Galatians says? Galatians 6.3 says this, If anyone thinks he's something... When he's nothing, he deceives himself. The Bible says that, yes, there is an enemy of your soul. He is a deceiving, lying serpent. But you know who the enemy gets help from sometimes? Us. We're our own worst enemy. Our pride deceives us. The book of Proverbs would be a great study for you this Lord's Day on Sunday to go home and study about pride and humility We've heard this passage before, even if you've never studied it. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. How many of us have heard pride comes before the fall? Pride's going to come for Nebuchadnezzar before the crawl. God's going to do what he said he's going to do because he hates pride. 1 John chapter 4 says God is love. And then also in Proverbs chapter 8, it says this. God says, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. The Bible has no problem saying that God is love and everything that he does is love. Because he loves us, he knows how devastating and destructive our pride is to us. Because he loves us, he's willing to humble us on this side of eternity So we don't live in a place of complete, abandoned darkness on the other side of eternity. What is happening here is God is revealing his hatred of pride. Nebuchadnezzar is not impressed. I heard a story about Muhammad Ali, the great boxer. Some would say maybe the greatest boxer. And this was back in his heyday, at the top and the pinnacle of his sport and his vocation, And he was about to get on a jet plane, a 747, and fly across the country. Muhammad Ali was sitting in his chair, and they were taxiing on the runway, when the flight attendant walks by and sees that he doesn't have a seat belt. The flight attendant says to Muhammad Ali, sir, please fasten your seat belt. We're about to take off. Muhammad Ali says to the flight attendant, ma'am, Superman don't need no seat belts. (laughs) To which the flight attendant replied, Superman don't need no airplanes either. Buckle up, buddy. (laughs) Amen. Yes and amen. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed by himself that sometimes God has to use drastic measures to humble us. That God, for those who really struggle with pride, will have to really use drastic and dramatic measures to humble us. So verse 31, all eyes on the Bible. While the words were still in the king's mouth, the words singing his own praise, there fell from a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat the grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Let's stop right there. God isn't just a god who speaks to us in his dreams? God is a God who does what he says. So there's some of us here that will hear this and will say, Yeah, I get it. I understand. It's an interesting Bible story, I guess. I'll deal with pride tomorrow. We should never confuse God's patience with God's permission. He might let your pride go unchecked for a day, a couple of days but eventually we're all going to come crashing down off our high kingdom. Isn't it interesting here once again that this is all taking place in Babylon and we think of the Tower of Babel, this structure that was erected to reveal the strength and the might of men. And God came down from heaven and dispersed them all over the world. Have you ever wondered why we think heaven is up? Right? I mean, we've sent astronauts up They didn't find Jesus up there. They didn't find angels flying around. Yet the Bible says over and over again that heaven is up. Why? Because the Bible is less about being vertical and more about being spiritual. There is a spiritual lesson to be learned here. When we say and attest and proclaim that heaven is up, that gives us the ability to get up when we're down, but it also humbles us when we're puffed up. The fact that heaven's above us, Heaven is greater than us. There's heaven's rule, and it's a rule over everyone and anyone, whether they recognize it or not. An author said this, talking about people that are so obsessed with their own greatness. I love this quote. Some people get so caught up in their own greatness that they look at the Trinity for a possible vacancy. They're so impressed by their holiness, their greatness, they think, man, this sounds good. Father, Son, and Holy Chris Durkin. It's got a nice ring to it. It's horrifying, right? It's absolutely horrifying. We think this, though. We think we could be God and do a better job than God does. We think we know more about success, life, pleasure, purpose, peace than God does. That's why Amy Carmichael, the famous missionary, said, those who think too much of themselves don't actually think enough because we find our identity and we boast based on our strengths and are blinded by our ever-present weaknesses and that's why marriage can be a gift right church isn't it good that our spouses aren't impressed by us (laughs) for a pastor I go and preach a, uh, a sermon and people are really nice and kind and probably a little too nice sometimes oh pastor good word pastor nice teaching very good and Melissa's is so encouraging. She's amazing. But she's not impressed by me. And thank God for that. Thank God for that. The reason why a lot of people get frustrated in their marriages, in their relationships, in their friendships is because they think that their whole family should be bowing down and worshiping them. We're called to love, to be kind, to forgive. But if we're waiting for somebody to sing our applause every single time we do the dishes, I don't know what to tell you. We need to humble ourselves. Alfred Gibbs said this, Unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to what is around us. Heaven rules. Heaven's higher. Heaven's greater. I mean, what was the sin of Satan? Think about it. What made the devil the devil? It was pride. Unchecked. Unabashed idolatrous pride it was pride that made the devil the devil it's pride that will mean lead many to join the devil in hell for eternity god does a miraculous work in nebuchadnezzar's hearts his heart all the me's and the my's and my glory and my majesty now that he is grazing grass like a wild animal leads to praise let's look at the end of this passage i'm in verse 34 At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now notice all the hises and hymns. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand, or say to him, what have you done? What a miraculous transformation in this emperor's heart. What should be the implicit message? First, that we have nowhere near the same amount of power as Nebuchadnezzar, but we might have more pride than him. Nebuchadnezzar could do and say and and decree anything he wanted to, and yet some of us will leave here this morning With a pride unchecked, we won't learn the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned. And God will have to reveal it the hard way. What's the second lesson? Here's the beautiful thing. Compare Nebuchadnezzar with our King Jesus. Nebuchadnezzar was brought so low that he was like an oxen grazing the field. Jesus Christ descends from his heavenly throne. And his throne becomes a cross, bloody and wooden. He takes off his heavenly throne, his heavenly crown and takes on a crown of thorns. Why? Because our king is a humble, suffering servant. Because our king is living for his father's glory. Because our king went to the cross out of obedience to his father and out of love for you. Who do we want to follow? Who do we want to draw near to? Who do we want to cry out to? Nebuchadnezzar? This oxen? Or the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world? The invitation is this. Know that heaven rules and humble yourself. Because as it says here, the last verse of chapter 4 and the last words of King Nebuchadnezzar, For all God's works are right and God's ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I pray first and foremost that you would forgive me of my pride and of my hubris. I also pray, Lord, that you would use your word and send your spirit so that the hearts of your people might repent of pride. Lord, that this isn't a message for the person sitting next to us. This isn't a a message for the person that has wronged us. This isn't a message for the person from our past who, man, they're so filled with pride and hubris that I wish they were here right now to hear this. No, God, give us eyes to see how we can deceive ourselves. Give us eyes to see that heaven rules and we do not. That the beginning of freedom from pride is the path of humility. So all of us struggle with this cancer of pride, God. I pray that you as a good physician, as the great physician, would reveal and diagnose where that pride is intersecting with our sinful hearts. And God, you would give us the grace to repent now. To turn from our stubbornness and our cold-hearted hearts and to return back to a God who loves us and demonstrated His grace and kindness through His Son, Jesus Christ, our King. What's that one thing, church? How is God commanding you to get down off the throne of your heart so Christ himself might sit there. Would you offer it up to him now in your own time, in your own way? I'm going to give us a prayer to pray as a guide in a moment, but get some business done with heaven right now and talk to your Father. I promise you he's listening. If you need words to pray as a guide, what matters most is the echo and desire and reality of your heart and mind. But pray this prayer. Holy King of heaven, I am a wretched sinner. I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cry out to him. Humble me. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. Help me to advance your kingdom and not my own. We pray all this in the name of our suffering servant, our risen, reigning King, our friend and our brother, Jesus Christ. Amen. If